0: Good to be here. Uh, Yeah, so we're carrying on with our uh, series of hearing and responding to God's call and looking at the story of Gideon today. And Gideon can be found in your Bible in Judges, uh, and it runs through Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. Um, So it's quite quite a long story. Um, And Gideon is used in a very powerful way by God to uh, defeat this Midianite army that's oppressing the Israelites uh, and also to bring the Israelites back to God. And it's a a fantastic story and a fantastic victory as you you saw with the the brilliant drama that we had with Rainbow's group uh, this morning. Uh, And God has this habit of doing great victories, and, and big plans, and big pictures, and, and that's really important, and, it, and he has a big plan, I believe, for, for Bridge North Baptist Church, and, and the community here in Bridge North, and that, that is important, but I think it would be a shame if we also missed the small victories that, that God brings in Gideon's life. Uh, in preparation for what God calls Gideon to. uh, God does some some important victories, some important work in Gideon's life, in preparation for this bigger plan, but also because he loves Gideon and because he wants to see Gideon progress and grow as well. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think actually a lot of the work that Jesus does in our lives is small victories, but they have a big impact. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. So, uh, chapters seven and eight in judges are primarily taken up with Gideon um, and, and the battle with the Midianites and, and Gideon bringing people back to, of Israel back to God. but the first chapter, chapter six, is where God first meets with Gideon, uh, and God starts to win victories in gideon 's life in preparation uh, for this big victory with the midianites and so that 's what we 're going to focus on this morning to give you an idea of setting the scene judges chapter six verses one through to ten. It sort of sets the scene for you before even Gideon comes on. Uh, and to give you a picture, the Israelites have once again fallen away from God, and you'll see if you read the book of Judges, this is, this is a repeating theme, okay? The, the Israelites fall away from God, God raises, raises a judge from the people uh, to bring the people back to him, to put them back on the straight and narrow path, uh, and they do for a time, and then uh, the judge dies, and uh, eventually they fall away from God, and the whole thing sort of recycles again. Um, and, and this is where they're at, the Israelites have fallen away from God, and they've started worshiping uh, this false idol, uh, Baal and various other false idols, uh, false gods around the the, uh, region. And so God hands them over to the Midianites. These Midianite army, as uh, Mary alluded to earlier, was this vast army that, that the Bible describes as like a plague of locusts. That's how big they were, and they were attacking the people of Israel and oppressing them. But not only that, but they would, they would come to the land, and the Bible says they would wipe out all the resources and all the food of the land. They would take it all for themselves, and then they would depart, and they would wait for the Israelites to replant plant their crops and them to grow, and then they'd come back again, and they'd take it all. And they did this for seven years. For seven years they did this. The people of Israel were not only being attacked and killed, they were starving as well. Uh, no food and no resource in the land pretty bleak picture. And so the people of Israel, they cry out to God and they say, God, why is this happening? Why is all this bad stuff happening? And so God sends a prophet to them. And in a nutshell, the prophet basically says, it's happening because this is a consequence of your sin. This is a consequence of you turning your back on God and walking away. And if that was the end of the story, that would be a pretty sad ending. But we believe in a God Uh, a God who is compassionate and merciful uh, and is a God of first and second and third and a hundredth chances in our lives. And this is why he calls Gideon to bring his people back. He's not going to leave his his people abandoned uh, to the Midianites. He's not going to leave them wandering out there without their God to lead them. So he's going to call Gideon. So we're going to look at these victories that, that God brings in Gideon's life. And the first victory that God brings in Gideon's life is a victory through Gideon's weakness. Okay? So enter Gideon. Where do we find Gideon when, when God comes to speak to him? Gideon is a, a farmer, not a soldier, not a warrior. Uh, and he's threshing wheat and I'm no expert with threshing wheat, but when you thresh wheat, you want the the chaff to separate from the wheat, and you need a good wind source to do that. So you usually do it on the top of a hill or something in those days, but no, Gideon is found down the bottom of a wine press, and the the Bible tells us that uh, he does this because he's hiding the grain from the Midianites, but I do wonder whether perhaps he was hiding himself from the Midianites as well, Uh, maybe just a little bit. So he's threshing this wheat, he's a farmer, uh, and God shows up, and God says, "Mighty hero, mighty hero, mighty warrior, uh, the Lord is with you." And what's Gideon's response to this? It's not jumping with joy. It's not, "Oh, great, this is really good." No, uh, his response is, "Well, if God is with us, then you know why is all this bad stuff happening?" I should probably mention at this point, and you're going to find out later on, that Gideon's family is part of the problem for why this bad stuff's happening in the first place. Gideon's family is worshipping the idol god Baal, uh, which has caused all this problem in the first place. Bit of a hypocrite. Bit of a hypocrite. It isn't looking brilliant for Gideon's credentials at the moment, is it? For why God would pick him. And then we pick it up, and we pick it up in uh, verse... uh, 14, and it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Why does God choose Gideon? it's not for his strength he's already just admitted that he's the weakest and the least in his own family and his own tribe why it's not for his qualifications he's not a soldier he's not a warrior he has no experience of fighting an army or even raising an army of his own and it's certainly not for his purity or his sinlessness uh, because as i just mentioned you're going to find out his family are worshipping this false god this false idol so it's it's not that either i believe it's for his weakness and for the fact that he's honest, open about his weakness. You know, we live in this world where uh, our strengths are uh, promoted, aren't they? They're encouraged to be promoted. Promote your strengths. Show how good you are at things. But our weaknesses, we're we're taught to hide those and be a bit ashamed of them and keep them a bit closed and in the closet, not let our weaknesses out. I remember when I was... um, uh, first started going to interviews for work and uh, one of the pieces of advice that was given to me was that you, you know they're going to ask you this question you know what is your weaknesses uh, you know can you tell me about one of your weaknesses uh, and you should never ever ever say what your weaknesses are um, and so my, my stock answer was something along the lines of well my biggest weakness is that I'm just a bit too much of a perfectionist um, which, which essentially is paramount to saying I'm you know Uh, I have no faults, which is ridiculous. Um, It's it's ridiculous. But but we do, we hide our weaknesses. We're ashamed of them sometimes, and and we're not encouraged to promote them either. What does God think about weaknesses, though? Uh, This is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God longs for us to recognize our weaknesses, why? Because in our weaknesses, we don't have any pride. We don't have any boasting. There's no glory for us in our weaknesses. There's no false humility to get in the way. And God longs to work through our weaknesses. God can work in immeasurably powerful ways through our weaknesses. And so God chooses to bring a victory through Gideon's weaknesses. He tells Gideon to go with the strength he has because he's sending him. And Gideon asks, how can I do that? Look at me. How can I do that? And God says, me, I will be with you. And God might come to you one day and say, I want you to go somewhere. I want you to do something. I've got a calling on your life to do this. And you might say, how? And God will say, me, I will work through your weaknesses. God brings a victory through Gideon's weakness. But God's not done with Gideon yet. Gideon's not ready to, to go out and lead this army. So God's going to bring another victory. God's going to bring a victory through Gideon's idols. Okay? So, a bit later on in the story, as we saw in the, uh, the drama, uh, God comes to Gideon and he says, uh, Gideon, I want you to go and destroy your father's idol to Baal and sacrifice, make a sacrifice to me and worship. You see, God never leaves a job half finished in our lives. Isn't that good news? God never leaves a job half finished. If we are willing, Jesus will see the the job of perfecting our faith through to completion. That's really good news. And also, Jesus can and does use imperfect people. Gideon was not perfect. But God uses him in powerful ways. We're not perfect, but that does not exclude us from God using us in powerful ways. So God calls Gideon and he says, I want you to destroy this idol. Uh, And and Gideon is obedient to this, but scared. He does this at night, hidden, where uh, no one else can see him. Um, Why? Because he knows that there's a very real chance and risk that the people of the village and his family are going to basically kill him for doing this. This is a high-risk thing to do. But he's obedient, and I want you to remember that word, obedience, it's, it's critical for, for what we're looking at today. He's obedient, and it's more important than his feelings, it overrules his feelings. And true to form, after he's destroyed the idol and gone to bed the next morning, the people wake up and they, they find that their idol and the, uh, the altar uh, has been destroyed. And uh, they start searching around and they find out that it's Gideon who's responsible for destroying it. And so they go, to, uh, they go to Gideon's house and they say, Joash, who's Gideon's father, Joash, bring out your son Gideon. We want to kill him for destroying this altar. I wonder, how do, you, how do you identify what an idol is in your life? An idol being something that is uh, in the place of where God should be in your life. Well, I think there's two, there's two key things you can look for. The first is your reaction when your idol's life is threatened. And the second, its reaction when your life is threatened. How are they reacting when their idol's life is threatened? They want to kill over it. That's how important it's become to them. They want to kill Gideon because of it. Because Gideon has exposed it for what it is, a pile of stones, nothing more. And what about its reaction when your life is threatened? They have been oppressed for seven years, and Baal has not helped them once. Seven years, and he has done nothing because there's no power in in idols Who defends Gideon then? So they want to come and they want to kill Gideon. Uh, His father, Joash. His father, Joash, says this. He says, if Baal is such a great and powerful god, let him defend himself. He can kill Gideon if he's really a powerful god. Um, But otherwise, leave Gideon alone. You see, there's still already a transformation of faith, not just through Gideon, but through the people around him by destroying this idol. We uh, we recently, me and Emily, we got challenged, or felt challenged, or I felt challenged particularly, um, that our television had become an idol in our in our lives, or particularly my life. And um, my wife is smiling because I came back uh, and after a walk, you know, as I do, and thinking and God challenging me on things, and said. Uh, I, think, I think the TV's become an idol in our life. I think it's a problem. Um, you know, all I do is every day I come back from work tired, and all I do is I sit in front of the TV, and it's, it's affecting the time we spend with Zach, and it's affecting the time we spend with one another, and um, I feel God's challenging us to live radically and get rid of our TV. And Emily's like, yeah, great, really good idea. Um, I'm on board with that. And so Emily is brilliant. She's really good. She, she stops watching TV completely, and I do for about 24 hours. And then I'm back in front of the TV. And and Emily comes and says, I thought you were going to give TV up. Yeah. Uh, um, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Okay. So Emily continues to stop watching TV, and I, for another 24 hours, I'm brilliant. And then I'm back in front of the TV. And I realize then that there's no middle ground with idols. There's no middle middle ground with idols. Uh, And I was being called to destroy my idols. Not just put them in a corner and say, I'll discipline myself and not, not look at them or not use them. Uh, and so I took this big hammock note. Um, I, 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 <laughs> I gave the TV away. We gave the TV away. We've been uh, without a TV for, what, two weeks now or something like that. And you know what? We don't miss it one bit. Isn't that strange? And we have so much more time that we spend with one another and with Zach and with God uh, and it's a real blessing to us. But what's most interesting is people's reactions when they find out. When people have come round to the house, no TV, uh, and, and some of them have been really positive about it and have been really encouraging. And some of them have looked at us as if we're a bit wacky, and, uh, and we probably are, but uh, you know, they, they, they don't understand and it, you know, and there's quite powerful reactions from it. When we destroy idols in our lives, it's not just to bless us. God doesn't destroy them just to bless us. He destroys them because they affect people around us as well. And if we want our faith uh, and in Jesus to, to you know, work through other people's lives around us, then those idols can get in the way not just of our faith, but of their, their people's faith as well. And we see with Joash Gideon's father that even he is starting to believe through Gideon's example. And so God has this massive victory over Gideon's idols. But God isn't finished yet. God's going to bring a third, small victory in Gideon's life with powerful repercussions. Uh, God's going to bring a victory in Gideon's faith. Uh, there's a, a couple of different points in the story where Gideon tests God. Um, we've skipped over one, and it's worth going back and reading it. It's uh, it's between uh, uh, when God meets Gideon and when he destroys the idol in, in, in the book, but. The one I'm going to focus on is the one that's in the drama, uh, which is where Gideon uh, has raised his army. He's raised this army of 32,000 men that he's called from the different tribes around the area, uh, and uh, he wants to be sure that God is going to be with him, so he, he, he does this thing with the fleece where he puts it down and asks God for it to be wet and the ground to be dry, and then reverses it and says, uh, God, I want the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet, and God, God answers, and God answers that test. I think Gideon gets a bit of a bad reputation for this. If you read a lot of the commentaries about this, they say, ooh, shouldn't test God. It's, it's bad, it's bad, it's all bad. And I think, uh, I think that's a bit unfair, really. Um, because faith is a journey, isn't it? Uh, I think about like when Zach, our son, learned to walk. I didn't expect him to learn to walk overnight, go from not being able to move at all to walking the next day. It was a gradual process of gradually getting up, gradually taking small steps and and building competence in being able to walk. And it took a long period of time, probably over six to twelve months, for it to come to full fruition. And God is a good and patient Father, and He recognizes that in us, Uh, and in Gideon's case, faith takes time to be built. So God is a patient God, but he does want us to move forward in our faith. He does want our faith to progress. But Gideon's got two questions. God, are you going to be with me through this? This is a big deal. We're facing a massive army. But also, he understands this truth, that victory only comes if God is with us. Victory only comes if God is with us. He has 32,000 men under his control. He has no qualifications as a soldier, and he's already admitted that he's, he's weak and doesn't know how he can do it. And God has said, I'm going to do it through you. Only, victory only comes when God is with us. Gideon hasn't let his pride get in the way. He cares for his men. And let me say this, a responsible leader, whether you're a leader in the home, a leader in church, a leader at your work, a leader to a friend, whatever it is responsible leaders when they hear words from god they test it they make sure that it's from god they make sure that they're hearing god properly so what is the difference then between good testing and bad testing and it's this faith and obedience faith by definition it takes risks when faith is present obedience it follows gideon doesn't ask for reassurance and then ignore god when he comes and says, "Yes, I'll be with you." He obeys. It's OK to check with God. If, if God's put a word on your heart and God said something to you as a church or as a person individually, it's OK to say, "God, is this right? I want to test this out." But when God comes, we need to be willing to obey as well. That's the difference. So Gideon is willing to obey, and God wins this victory of Gideon's faith in his life. God was willing to answer Gideon's questions and Gideon was willing to obey. And Gideon goes on after these small victories in his lives. He's built up by God now. He's been, uh, he's been dealt with. His weakness has been dealt with because God's going to work through him. His uh, idols have been destroyed and he's back on the right track with God and so can be an example to the Israelites. Uh, his faith has been built because God has spoken to him and reassured him and he has been obedient and now he's going to be obedient and go uh, and fight the Midianites and defeat them. Let me finish with this. I don't always feel strong. Don't always feel perfect. In fact, (laughs) I never feel perfect, Uh, and I certainly don't feel like I've always got faith. I had uh, an experience a couple of weeks ago where I was I was done. I was tired. I'd come out of the end of a a CLT meeting. uh, (laughs) Yeah, and I and I I was (laughs) makes it sound really bad, doesn't it? I, uh, I'd reached the end of my tether, I'd, I'd spent all the strength that I had, uh, it was a busy period at work, uh, it's a busy period at home, it's a busy period at church, and I'd come to the end of my strength, and the worst part about it was that I'd felt like I'd spent all my strength, and there was no fruit from it, it had just gone and I, the next day, I was driving to Ireland. I'm doing um, a lot of work in Ireland at the moment, uh, and I was driving on this road through Ireland, uh, and I, I was just, God, I, I'm finished. I don't, don't want to go back. Don't want to go back to church. Don't want to go back to CLT meetings. Just done. And uh, I was driving along this road, and this massive thundercloud was in front of me came down, consumed the whole road. It was a ginormous thing. Uh, and uh, I don't know what, why I said it, but I prayed and I said, God, just help me get through this, this cloud. I, I don't know whether I thought my car would break down or something while I was driving through or whatever. But I, I prayed and drove into this cloud and the rain started thrashing down on, on the windscreen. And I looked in my rearview mirror and this massive rainbow appeared but it wasn't just this rainbow that appeared it was like the end of the rainbow came through my rear view window okay so the whole thing was right there behind me as i was driving through and I felt God challenge me. And when I say that, I, I don't really hear God audibly sort of, you know, shouting down and opening the heavens usually. It, it's usually a feeling inside my head or something, you know. And I believe it's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Uh, and, God, and God said, and I said, God, I'm, I'm done. I'm through. And God said, good. Now I'll start working. Now I'll start working. And he said, I am strong enough to bring you through any storm that is in your life. I am strong enough through your weaknesses. I am strong enough. And so it, I was a bit of a I, I don't often cry. Like, I'm a pretty cold person. I go to funerals. Really, I don't really cry. It's not something I do often. Um, so generally, the only time I cry is if I'm in a lot of pain uh, or, or, or God has met with me. They're the two times that it happens. Uh, and so I was you know I was a bit of mess crying to don't like to admit that but it, it was true and I drove out the other side of this storm and there was this this brilliant sunset going on in the sky and I thought how faithful God is to work through our weaknesses how faithful God is to bring us uh, bring our faith through to completion that's good news amen